Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that early childhood nerd podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santee. You all know who I am. Um, Also today uh, on the show is Mike Huber. Hello, Mike. Hello. Mike, what do you want people to know about you? Yeah, I guess I always forget to mention um, things about me, but I do have a book called Inclusion Includes Us that came out just a few months ago. And I still have the book Embracing Rough and Tumble Play. People want the oldies. <laughs> the classic Mike, yeah, as opposed to modern Mike, yeah, exactly. They're both really great books. I think everybody knows that I think that because <laughs> I've mentioned it so many times. Um, so definitely, and and your podcast, you have your own podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Teaching with a body and mind. You can yeah. get our ratings up higher than Heather's if you go and listen. <laughs> fight, fight, fight. <laughs> um, also joining us is Anna McRae. Hi, Anna. Hi, everyone. Um, And she's here for the very first time. So we know that we want to hear more about you. Yes, I am so happy to be here. Um, I realize I have like no social media presence. I have not written any books, um, but I got an invite from Mike. So I must have some sort of uh, potential. Highly recommended by Mike Huber. You can put that on your that's yeah. that's the goal yeah. um yeah so I am here because I I do love to talk about early childhood um most of my professional background is in um early childhood mental health um specifically in autism therapy which I have um sort of a good the bad and the ugly relationship with um but I'm very excited about today's subject matter um for that very reason Um, presently I am, um, working as director of inclusion curriculum and quality at St. David's center, early childhood education program. Um, I supervise graduate level social workers in an autism day treatment program and, um, provide mental health consultation to one of our local school districts in their early childhood program. Um, so I joke that like if a child, you know, under the age of five, pull someone's hair, they call me in, <laughs> I get to watch it happen um, and tell them that their hair must be a really great texture. Um, <laughs> hair pulled regularly. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, welcome. I'm glad you, we've been talking about doing this episode for so long that all of us kind of forgot what we were going to talk about by the time we had an episode scheduled. Yeah. I, uh, by the time we had this scheduled, I I was embarrassed to admit to you, Anna, that I didn't remember what the topic was going to be. So I texted Mike singly outside of our, our group email. And then I was really relieved when you also emailed. <laughs> you were like, okay, so what was the gist of what we're going to talk I think about? I have had a lot of conversations where he said like, this is what the podcast will be. And <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to need to just um, get a little refresher on which yeah. specific, because we, we talk a lot. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Um, well, good. I'm glad you're both here. Um, the, we're going to start with a quote that is actually kind of a, a story from Greg Santucci. He's an occupational therapist. And if you haven't seen any of his stuff on uh, Facebook and Instagram, I think he's on Instagram um, and he has a website. It's really, it's really good. It's really been both validating and eye-opening for me. Like there's a lot that I've been thinking, yes, I just didn't have the words for that instinct about, you know, autism, especially. Um, so anyway, we're, we're going to start with this story and then we'll, we'll see where our conversation goes as early childhood folks and, uh, and you are, I can't bring the therapist, uh, piece into the conversation for us. Okay. So, um, Greg says, I was working in a classroom for children with autism, an ABA classroom. It was a new school day early in the year and it was time for the morning meeting. However, one little girl wasn't feeling it that day, and she was having a tough morning. That didn't matter to the adults in the room. It was time for morning meeting, period. The little girl was led to her plastic cube chair by her paraprofessional who sat behind her, coaching her, and containing her. (laughs) As morning meeting continued with the attendance, the days of the weeks, months of the year, hours of the day, the almanac, the horoscopes, and everything else they cover, it was time to quote-unquote do the weather, 
That was this little girl's task. The parrot tried to lift her up out of the cube chair, but she resisted, falling to the ground. As the parrot tried to pick her up, she resisted further. This was unacceptable to the teacher. God, I hate the word unacceptable. That was outside of the quote. I'm going back in now. <laughs> this was unacceptable to the teacher who instructed the parrot to keep placing the demand on her and don't let her be, quote, comfortable on the floor. The parrot did what she was told. She stood over the little girl and repeated, do the, do the weather ad nauseum. Do the weather, 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 do the weather. This little girl would not comply, so a large blue bin of Legos was dumped on the floor. Now crying, the little girl was told to pick the Legos up. All the while, the para continued, do the weather, do the weather, do the weather. They were not going to, quote, let her win. They were going to get her to comply. Eventually, they broke her. And this is what so many ABA stories sound like to me when I, when I see and read them. And I want to cry. And I'm angry. <laughs> and I don't understand how we get here um with young children I mean with any other human but with these the ages that we're working with in our early childhood programs um it it's astonishing to me somebody else talk while I get on yeah, yeah. <laughs> well uh, so Anna I've heard you talk about you know when you're working with um people you kind of have them watch some videos of ABA I think you said just so they can see, like, yeah, I'm not making this up. This people do yeah. this. Yeah, I um I love to use scare tactics in supervision to keep <laughs> I uh to keep my supervisees um ethical. Um <laughs> nice. So and I it it is like a recently adapted skill that I will show people videos of ABA because um, I am finding that our more like recent sort of generation of autism therapists really know about neuroplasticity. So they sort of understand this idea that, um, when we are doing things that we enjoy, we're more likely to learn more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so they are like, they don't, they're surprised and confused by how, um, these very like compliance-based models have um, gained as much traction as mm -hmm. they have. Um, but, you know, I think therapeutically as, as an adult human in relationship with children who challenge us, the desire for power and control is something that like we've all felt. Mm -hmm. ABA um, can be a real example of where that goes really wrong. Um, and I want people to sort of see some of that play out and to be like, so if you have that instinct just to like really hold that boundary <laughs> with a child, just take pause. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we know that actually we don't do our best learning when we're super stressed and somebody's breathing down our necks. Mm -hmm. Just humans in general don't, we're not big fans of that kind of learning. Right. It's and there's so many times when I hear people say, "Well, at work, would you want people some someone doing that to you at work if you weren't meeting a performance goal or something?" And you know, people are really willing to admit that, yeah, in an adult relationship, that would be really out of line. But there's something about it's probably the power. It's probably the idea that we're supposed to be teaching and doing something to, um, uh, to re to the child to reach goals, um. But there's there's just a, a something missing in there, and we can't make that same connection when we're talking about adults and children that we do. It's almost yeah, like the learning do. supersedes the idea of relationship, right? What? That this this thing is so important. Yeah. You really have to know how to count to seven or ten yeah. or whatever. That I don't care if we if I'm mean to you mm -hmm. or you know, and I wouldn't think of it as mean because the end justifies the means, right? Right. I think that's partly what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, a, a you know, an early childhood professor talking about a student who worked, a student she had that worked at an ABA therapy center and talking about a story kind of like this. And the, the student was late for class because she couldn't leave until the student did whatever they were supposed to do. And that was this, this, you know, this adult students, college students reason for being late for class. And the professor was like, and I just thought that was so neat. <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? How is that neat? But it feels like you're doing something about a problem, I think is, mm -hmm. is where that, where that came for her. Um, 
I would have much rather heard I'm late because this child needed me. Yeah. And I was there as they calmed down. Yeah. I don't know. Like, right. You know, maybe I'm old fashioned. Yeah. No. Yeah. I just, um, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't seem like something I could do, but I don't know, maybe earlier in my career, if I'd been in a different spot that this, and I came across this, maybe I'd think differently, but it's just really hard for me. Um, it's so interesting. I never did. I was never in an ABA proper program, but I was in um, programs that were sort of ABA light. Mm -hmm. And I think about how I think when I was trained in initially, um, this was like 12 years ago, mm -hmm. we didn't know as much about brain development. And I think um, the way that we conceptualized autism or, you know, historically the conceptualization of autism has also been like very tightly knit with eugenics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so the idea that like, oh, these children are distressed and um, really need us to like mold them, I think mm -hmm. was more prevalent. I think it's they still need structure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we have to offer. Yeah. And then there was this idea that even if I was co-regulating with a child, that distress was how children learn. Mm -hmm. So that was like the early messaging for me was like, you just got to help them push through it because that's how they're going to learn that they can do it. So you say, mm -hmm. do the weather, do the weather, do the weather, do the weather. And eventually they um, figure out that they can do the weather. But <laughs> <laughs> what was missing there was that like we, um, we were sending children into total fight or flight level right. distress where if eventually they did learn to do the weather it was because of repetition and i don't know path of least resistance like mm -hmm. learning trauma not because right. they're really learning to do the weather yeah does this um, get you to stop to. then i'll do the weather if you will stop exactly yeah. um and then you know coming you know down the line i think uh I learned the research to sort of match the emotional experience that was like, oh, this is why this feels so bad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. it's, about it's, it's like doing the weather <laughs> is the maladaptive behavior they take on to stop the trauma, right? I mean, I don't know if I have the terminology right exactly, but yeah, like it's yeah. this weird thing that we usually think of trauma as being somebody, well, I shouldn't say because it, it is exactly this somebody abusing someone yeah and yet the abuse is coming from the therapist yeah and um certainly most adults with um adults um autistic adults that i know or that i read use that word abuse yes and i i do remember actually it was like a uh oh they must have been in seventh grade it was the first time that opened my eyes where they referred to um autism speaks as a hate group yeah i've heard that one and too. that they're yeah. you know and it was just so interesting having a seventh grade and they actually did a, a report in class uh -huh. in seventh grade about um, why it qualifies as a hate group. And it was just so interesting that a seventh grader could articulate that. Yeah. Um, and yet so, adults that can't. Yeah. We may need to talk about that now because there may be people listening who have never heard that viewpoint or that, mm -hmm. um, that way of thinking. I, so what I know about autism speaks and the, is, is that there aren't a lot of autistic voices involved in their work and they've uh, autistic people have asked for that change to be on the board and to be in the positions of decision making and that hasn't been really forthcoming but also the the approach is um this is something we need to cure and autistic folks don't feel like they need to be cured right that so that's my level of understanding about why autism speaks is problematic that's also my level of understanding about why. I yeah. Speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. And I think autistic people are kind of like done with trying to be like change autism speaks and rather just trying mm -hmm. to help other neurotypicals know that don't give them yeah. money. Don't, you know, yeah. Like yeah, deal with that. them. That's now, I mean, certainly the tactic, but mm -hmm. um. Shoot, I was, I was going to ask Anna something. No, I forgot. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think it's that idea that um, this is a group that's out there saying, we're here to help fix you. 
um, and not listening to the people saying, we are okay. <laughs> uh, we, we would like to see some work on the other folks. Let's fix some other folks so that I can live in this world um, safely and comfortably and healthily. Um, but the message just continues to be, no, you need to be fixed. You need to be cured. And it's fascinating to me because I think there is a, there's a bridge between this, um, th there is a solution to, I think, what sort of the, um, the cure autism community is trying to point at mm -hmm. um, that isn't about curing or ridding the world of autism. It's about reducing distress. So when I look at that and I look at, you know, the sort of language around like, oh, these people are suffering, like look yeah. at these suffering. Have I worked with children who are suffering? Absolutely. It is extremely painful to not be able to express yourself mm -hmm. and to be living in a world that is overstimulating and exhausting to your nervous system and your sensory system. Like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you shouldn't exist? Right. <laughs> and no one obviously is saying like, get rid of this specific child, but, yeah. um, and does that mean that like, you know, we're sort of done with the conversation? Clearly this child is distressed, so there should be no more children like this. Like, yeah. absolutely. Not. And so I think like, can we invest our energy in looking at how do we create a more hospitable world for neurodivergence? And also, um, how do we reduce stress in the meantime? Right. Let's stop containing children who are visibly stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wants to be contained when they're stressed. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that term contained, I think is just so, cause like, so perhaps, I mean, we've talked about co-regulation on this podcast before, mm -hmm. but I think getting, if you don't mind on it, you explaining co-regulation from your perspective, cause I think it is different in the classroom. Um, so I, I guess we didn't say this, but Anna's my boss. So <laughs> We often talk about so this is Mike's chance to boss Anna around on yeah. the show. <laughs> no, but I mean, we talk a lot about the way, like what a classroom teacher goes through versus a therapist mm -hmm. and how there's differences in that, you know, yeah. teachers with a child for an extended day or, you know, uh, several hours. And most therapists, I guess, ABA sometimes 30 goes hours for a hours. week. That's what insurance wants. But, um, but, you know, there's a difference, I think, in, in terms of what you're doing. Um, but anyways, that, yeah. that's an aside. But uh, co-regulation, what what the hell is it? What is it? <laughs> um, so the way I think about co-regulation, um, particularly with children, is this idea that um, the, the way that adult approaches a distressed child has an impact on that child's ability to learn to regulate. Um, and so the same principles apply to an adult adult relationship that apply to a child adult relationship, um, where like children are more likely to be able to soothe if they have someone who is, um, calm themselves, supportive themselves, validating. Um, if you think about, you know, who do you call at the end of a really stressful work day? Do you call somebody who's going to say like, oh, well, it sounds like you should have, <laughs> yeah. Or somebody who's going to say, you know, you really just need to sit down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yell at you. Yeah. Somebody's tell you just to get it together. Mm -hmm. We don't call those people or sometimes we do. And then we're like, oh, that didn't feel good at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so to translate it to children, when a child is distressed, um, you know, they need the same things that we do as adults, which is like someone to validate the experience. Um, someone to be in it with us, but not get totally lost in it. So like, oh, this is really hard. Um, what can we do? What do you need? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think about co-regulation sort of as those, those features of a relationship that allow you to um, self-soothe and also soothe with the comfort of a supportive partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that's what I've said before, Mike. Who knows what I've I said. I don't think so, but I was just realizing that Heather and I co-regulate a lot yeah. via text. <laughs> yes, Whenever something so. happens, it's like, oh, I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Mike will tell me I'm right. 
Or I'll tell you, that's really difficult. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think for so many people in early childhood, at least they hear self-regulation or they hear regulation and what they process that process that as is obedience and compliance. Like a mm -hmm. child who can self-regulate, that means he follows my rules or she does what I need her to do, or she manages her emotions, um, you know, in a way that's not inconvenient for me. And that's self-regulation. I, I always use the example of being in a car with a loved one, a spouse, especially, and something happens, you know, as you're driving and, you know, you like yeah. swear and they say, it's no big deal or yeah, don't get mad. Yeah. And it's like, is that ever helpful? And it's <laughs> what we do to kids all the time. Like that's, an example of yes. forcing your reg your regulation onto the person. Yeah. And it yeah. never works for us. No. We're we're just we hold children to such a higher standard than we are willing to be held to ourselves as adults. And uh you know, everybody has bad days. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, just sort of generally speaking in our um the the systems we've put in place for young children. They they're expected to to do all a lot of things that we don't do ourselves um, and if we do make a mistake we have this you know we have a good rationale and we have a, we have an opportunity to prevent present our rationale and we aren't willing to always extend that to children um well and the thing that's like <laughs> i was just having this conversation with another coworker this afternoon because we were talking about um a staff member that we both work with who is saying about this child, like she's always trying to figure out how to get adults, how to help her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, rats, what a terrible child. <laughs> it's like children actually famously do that all the time. Yeah. It's infuriating, I know. And she's yeah. four. Yeah. Um, but the genius in that, <laughs> despite it being infuriating for adults everywhere. Yeah. Is that like children don't learn how to do stuff generally without some degree of support from adults. And so usually if they really can't regulate, um, they're showing you how much support they need to learn and they're mm -hmm. showing what they don't yet know. Eventually they can do it independently. Um, and my standards for adult regulation are much higher because you've had plenty of opportunity yeah. to learn. Um, and you have, you know, a fully developed brain. So like, your impulse control and your ability to regulate, <laughs> you know, really even if that is, you make the excuse to go like leave for a little while. Like I need to go. Oh, yeah. Like leave for 15 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So that when you were talking about both what you just said, and then also when you were talking about co-regulation earlier, it brought to mind um, something that's a big part of ABA, but also just general, you know, positive behavior intervention support, whatever that is, PBIS, and just general behavior kinds of um, advice and guidance people get is that um, planned ignoring or intentional ignoring. Um, if they're if you think they're just trying to get your attention, don't give it to them. We can't just let them tell us when they get attention. Um, but what you're saying is that that attention is what helps co-regulate, right? That's, that's what they need. And if we really want them to do better or feel better, that's our role. Yeah. And it's not, um, and we're not providing attention, you know, it, it's not a zero to 100 game. It's really a question of like, okay, how much support do you need right now? What do I know that you are able to do yourself? What do I know you, um, what do I know you can't do? And where can I meet you in the middle? Right. It's all about scaffolding. And we know educationally, we know how to help kids scaffold, but we mm -hmm. don't always apply the same principles to emotional regulation. Um, but I think the message that I hear a lot from educators who are overwhelmed is like very understandably, if I give them all this attention now, like how is he ever going to learn? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I say like, and you have the power to like, you know, turn it up and turn it back down a little bit. As you see that a child is showing you they're able to do it independently. Uh -huh. um, but they're never going to get there if we give them nothing when they're right. showing they can't do something. Yeah. I was thinking about it and kind of comparing it to a, a baby learning to walk. Like we're so ready to support everything they need that we're, we're giving them supports they don't need because we're so anxious, you know, we're putting them in standing things and holding them up on their feet and walking them around. 
Um, but even, but the minute they start pulling up, we're all about it. And the minute they start kind of taking a few steps, we're right there to catch them if they're going to fall and making sure that everything around them is safe. Um, but. And when they fall, we don't yell at them. Right. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? Do the walking, do the walking, do the walking. Do the walking. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I think that is, it's the, I mean. A four-year-old is only four years old, you know, like that's, because I mean, months. even a nine-year-old who <laughs> like is asking for help, it's because they need help, yeah. you know, and, and I think learning that they can't ask for help, that's called neglect, right? Mm-hmm. If you try to condition them to not ask for help when they need help, like that mm-hmm. also uh, doesn't seem ethical. But we label that as an ability to self-soothe when really they've just sort of given up trying to get help. Yeah, uh, and I don't think those two things are the same thing either. I don't think right. that's necessarily self-soothing. And I think I'm going to make this statement, and then feel free to contradict me. But um, deal. Just from reading, it seems that like AFAB individuals, so assigned female at birth, who are autistic, don't get diagnosed to adulthood. We'll talk about they were that self-soothing, quiet child. That's it's more typical in um, autistic people who are assigned female, and I think it is one of those ones. It's one of the the like whatever. It doesn't fit the stereotype of autism. Like, well, they're fine, mm-hmm. and therefore you don't do anything for them. And yet, they're also struggling. They're also um, needing help, mm-hmm. but they've learned to not ask for it because mm-hmm. adults don't provide that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah where I I am not I I can't remember the like precise research but I think what I have read that you're pointing to is like we're just really bad at identifying communication delays in um in girls because quote you know girls end quote um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we say we just assign it to temperament we say oh she's just quiet right. um, and if little boys end quote are um are quiet there must be something wrong mm-hmm. right. yeah he should be yelling yeah. <laughs> doesn't he the man in the world <laughs> yeah it's interesting how stereotypes about gender as well as stereotypes about what autism is like come into play mm-hmm. with how we treat it. Yeah. Uh, can we go backwards for a minute? Uh, because we jumped right in also assuming that everybody knew the ABA research we're talking about. Um, we've all kind of talked about- Or even what ABA is. Or what ABA is, yeah. So um, nutshell, ABA is Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, and it's like the story you heard at the beginning. Feel free to add therapist Anna on that. <laughs> yeah. What what would you call it? But it's 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 the it's like the only it's it's the main autism treatment that insurance will pay for. Uh, so it's like the most widely used I know um, approach to working with kids with autism. The way that I will describe it to the untrained eye sounds really scathing, and I. I both intended to be scathing and I mostly intended to be illustrative, which is like a lot of, um, you know, basic principles of like dog training sort of apply here. Mm-hmm. We reinforce behaviors that we want to see. So we give you something you want when we ask you for something and you demonstrate it to us. Um, and if you don't demonstrate it to us, we withhold it from you. Mm-hmm. It's very simple principles of behavior that are actually, they're actually quite useful as long as they are paired with um, managing distress and, um, you know, humanizing children. Right. Um, humanize children and we don't manage distress, that's where we are containing a child who's showing us that she's unwell. Uh-huh. Um, but I think in general, you know, the principles, if you know about like, you know, Pavlov's dog, they ring the bell and the dogs drool because they know it's time to eat. There's a lot of um, parallels and behaviorism mm-hmm. to. Um, yeah, I mean, it's heavily behaviorism. Yeah. It's, it's right there in the name, <laughs> kind of, but. So people uh, are often kind of familiar with the principles even if they have not seen it in action yeah Um, so the way I think about it in the classroom is 
it's focusing on the behavior, um, not why the child might be doing that. Like a child's asking for help. It might be because they can't do it on their own or mm -hmm. it's too stressful to do it on their own and mm -hmm. they want help. Or I could just focus on the behavior of they're talking to me while I'm trying to do something else. And this behavior has to stop. I need to mm -hmm. figure out a way to stop it. So I only view it. It's like you're only viewing it from the adult perspective and just the behavior itself and not what is that behavior communicating to me? Mm -hmm. What, you know, are they asking what could I do differently to um, alleviate? And I think stress is a, I don't know, as a teacher, I like to think of it as stress, mm -hmm. you know, like if a child who normally puts on is. their coat can't do it that day and they're just, oh, help me. And they fall <laughs> to the ground. It seems like they're kind of stressed. <laughs> and if, and I actually find that if I say, wow, you just don't have it in you to put on the coat today, mm -hmm. huh? Do you want some help? They'll often do it with, they'll do most of the work anyway. Yeah, yeah. Jump up. Whereas if I join you. had said, you know, and I think I probably did this when I first started teaching, like, you can put it on mm -hmm. and that they would have just gone further into their um, upsetness or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, like it would have been a lot more work for me and for them. Like neither of us would be happy. We would yeah. both be more stressed. And all I had to do is recognize that stress or that's not all, but I think a lot of times the like co-regulation to me, the first step is to acknowledge that the child is going through a difficult mm -hmm. thing, you know, and, and depending how far, how dysregulated they are, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes that's all they need to hear. If it's something like, like the coat, you know, yeah. obviously there are other times when. Um, yeah. And if it's in the early stage of the interaction, like once they've reached the point, yeah. like the little girl who didn't want to do the weather, um, that, that sort of logical thinking, decision-making part of her brain is not is not the one that's in control, the part that's in control. It's the, those survival mode of uh, fight, right. fight or flee or fawn or whatever they all are. And uh, holding her and containing her and adding to the stress isn't going to bring her into the state she needs to be to do whatever it is you're asking yeah. her to do, so. That story was fascinating to me because there were like, there's like multiple things happening there that I see happen all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but my first question is like, we probably do the weather every day, but like, does this child know what it means to do the weather? Because I actually don't. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, not to nitpick, but yeah. A, let's be clear about what we're asking. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and then B, as they were trying to get her to do the weather, it sounds like a lot of other things happened that then it became like, I can't remember what the other directives were, but whoever was with her pivoted multiple times to sort of like distractors that she had thrown mm -hmm. in the process to avoid yeah. doing. And they just, I mean, yeah, she, like just, she dumped Legos and they wanted her to pick them up and do the weather. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, if what you really want is for her to do the weather, why are you following these distractions? Ignore the Legos. Right. <laughs> and it's yeah. just interesting. I, I think I was trained yeah. up in behavioral enough environment that I can see that too. And I'm like, well, you're not following through. Like, yeah. why should she do the weather? <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, I mean, honestly, the, the adult's brain is engaged in the wrong spot in that moment too yeah. and that's they both need the co-regulation the co-regulation yeah. isn't always just for the child sometimes yeah. it's for both of us to get back into a spot where we can and, really move forward yeah and we have to bring in dan's voice here because yeah. just the idea of doing the weather um, what the hell? he would say yeah what the hell <laughs> like just go outside if you want to know the weather Weather's outside you yeah. don't weather isn't something you do it's something you experience yeah and you're in a classroom so you're not experiencing it yeah it's like That's... the most abstract thing you could do and yeah. dan was a friend of ours often on the show and he passed away oh two years ago a year and a half, year and ago. And a half in ago. august yeah so. yeah so we always he said what the hell about a lot of things yeah a lot of things like that um but I mean I think that's another important thing is like looking at the goal that you're having the fight over because essentially that's what you're doing you're having a fight with a child over whether they want to go put the sweater on the teddy bear or whatever to the weather was in that moment and is that really worth the rupture of the relationship 
and right. the stress that it's causing both of you in that moment. I, I am not infallible, right? And so what? The that's well, not what Mike said when we agreed <laughs> to have you on the show. <laughs> We uh, notoriously only have infallible people on. Um, <laughs> right, yes. No, but the phrase I will use is often like, is that the hill you want to die on? Yeah. When I'm, you know, supervising and coaching people, I'm like, if this is really important to you, die on that hill. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And then for myself, I will have occasionally found myself dying on hills with children where I'm like, oh no, I'm dying on <laughs> Oh no, yes. <laughs> How did I get no. here? <laughs> sometimes like you just get emotionally engaged in whatever is happening you know a child like snatches somebody else's teddy bear and they that the kid with the teddy bear had just finally calmed down and everything in me is just like so mad about the injustice of it that I'm like you can't take his teddy bear you know and then I see myself just dying on the hill mm -hmm. um <laughs> yeah yeah I almost did that today with um these kids dancing to the Blue Danube. They had just done it with like a music teacher and they all like had so much fun. But then they were like, just three kids were just like knocking into each other. Mm -hmm. And I am known for usually allowing that. The Blue but Danube I was trying to pit. do it with some other kids. Yeah, it was exactly the Strauss mosh pit. Um, the Strauss pit. The Strauss yes. pit. Yeah, um, yeah. But there you. were some other kids that, you know, were having fun doing it. So we're doing it. And the other kids are kind of getting a little... Yeah, you know, like the mosh pit was coming into the other part, and um, I said I started to say something and realized what I was doing. So luckily, I caught myself and just said, "Yeah, just try to keep that on this side, <laughs> so they <laughs> so they can still see." Yeah, um, yeah. the picture. There's this visual that went along with it, right? So the other kids are trying to see the picture. I so, see. Um, yeah. but but I I did. It was one of those ones where had I been just a little more stressed. And it could have been stressed from something totally different. Mm -hmm. um, or if it had been like, you know, if I hadn't eaten breakfast, for instance, yeah. that just that stress, I probably would have said more. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we are not, you know, moshing right now. We don't mosh our friends. We don't <laughs> mosh our friends. <laughs> that yep. reminds me one time I did play <laughs> Napalm Death to uh, preschoolers. You did what? I played Napalm Death to some preschoolers. Oh, yeah. I, I did this whole um, radio show about like just playing different music to kids and see how they react. Oh, yeah. And Napalm Death, they all just started running around in a circle and jumped on each other. Nice. And it was yeah. like, wow, start, it's just it's just there. Yeah. Start wearing purple was ours. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was definitely a, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we do go in tangents. Yeah. Yes, ABA. Yeah. yeah so. Again, I was just sort of talking about this in, in my class on Saturday, and I always, I was talking about ABA, and um, specifically the, the, the study that the Department of Defense did um, that sort of found some flaws in the, the basic research that ABA is based on, mm. um, because they're the, the country's largest insurer. Um, and that was where the, you know, they were paying so much for ABA services. They did this study and they found that there were some pretty essential flaws in the research, um, backing up ABA. And I was, I was just sharing that as a, you know, you might want to look more into this if you're curious about it, but it just opened this whole thing because ABA is the only thing we've got in town. If you've got a child with autism and it's the only thing insurance will pay for and, um, then they want you in there for 30 hours a week. And uh, it's, it's a messy, it's a messy thing. But I, I feel like that doesn't mean we don't talk about it. It means we get more people talking about it so that maybe we can figure something else out. Totally. And I, I struggle with it a lot because, um, because, you know, I do, I think systemically we have a major failure and a major injustice happening on a mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. I also know that like some of the most brilliant people I know I met in, you know, ADA type of settings. And my question is like, as you know better, do you do better? Mm -hmm. And is or different <laughs> Yeah. when you know better, do you do different? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but I'm regularly in consultation with families who, you know, are moving out of state and they're like, I don't, you know, the only programs that are available are these kinds of programs. Mm -hmm. And 
I, I feel compelled not to tell families not to get services. Right. Um, <laughs> and so what I will say is like, you know, if you, if you find yourself in an ABA situation, what I want you to do is just monitor the quality of the relationship with mm-hmm. the therapist. How, how does your child respond to them? How do you feel in that relationship? Because a lot of the research around any mental health service says like, you got to like your therapist mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, um, or at least respect them enough to try the stuff. Um, and that's the same if your child is too, as if you're, you know, 72. Um, and so, you know, I have a lot of questions about the model, but at the end of the day, I think like, if we can, if we can look at distress and look at the quality of the relationship and remember that children learn in the context of like positive nurturing mm-hmm. adults, I'm like, maybe we can mitigate some harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, you know, I, I threw around, you know, the eugenics word earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here I am being like, but maybe like if it's, you know, maybe if they're, I know, I was like, do I want to bring conversion therapy into this conversation? Cause I think it's the same guy, right? Is conversion therapy and ABA kind of the same? There's one guy? person in common. Um, I had the name up just a second ago. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I was going to go there either. Like, but, but Anna uh, already said eugenics. So maybe that's enough. <laughs> Ole Ivar Lovas. <laughs> yeah. I think is the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he definitely thought that um, he's, I don't know, this one, this report says he's often referred to as the founder of ABA. Mm-hmm. I have no clue if that's true or totally true, but. Yeah. It does seem like conversion therapy that is in, in a way, maybe it is easier for me to understand in a way, because that's done with adults. So if an adult has an attraction to someone of the same gender, this idea of conversion therapy is looking at the behavior. Oh, this person wants to have sex with another person of the same gender. We don't like that behavior. We are going to do everything we can to stop that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's um abusive it doesn't matter if it's you know um coercive it does and it doesn't get to the root of it was what if we let them yeah what if it's just okay that like, it's actually very similar right <laughs> and i think the same thing with aba like the idea of stimming right mm-hmm. like the more i realize about myself and like oh i do a lot of things that are stimming behaviors um i'm still in the process of finding out like, you know, do I call it stimming? I don't know, but I know that I can't pay attention after a while and I get kind of stressed if I'm not moving my body. And I don't see, you know, how preventing a person from moving their body in ways, just because it's making other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in my head, that's the way I think of ABA. Right. Like why would that be the the thing, the hill you want to die on? Right. I need you to stop flapping your arms versus, so my own child is autistic. And I remember they, um, we went to see Rent. Um, Here's here's another tangent for you. Um, Went to see Rent and they do this thing where you get, um, you can do a lottery to get a $20 ticket. So we went, my child got front row center, you know, tickets. Um, (laughs) So they go up there and they, they were like, I don't remember what year it was. Um, they were like 15, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they turned to the people next to him and said, just so you know, I'm autistic. When I get excited, I'm going to be moving my hands. Don't, I'm fine. <laughs> don't call the usher over here. Uh-huh. I'm, you know, I'm not actually. Yeah. And so then they just were doing this, like knocking their knuckles together for the entire show. Uh-huh. And they were like bruised and stuff. <laughs> And then, but they were so happy. <laughs> yeah, and we stayed for the question and answer afterwards with uh-huh. the cast. And, um, you know, there was a cast member, now I forget which role, but they were saying something about the thing about doing it live is sometimes you look out in the audience and you see someone who is so excited and it just oh. drives it up. And they looked right at Remus. Uh, yeah. Like they, like new Remus didn't notice, but uh, yeah. <laughs> like, they're talking about you, <laughs> but it was just amazing. But like, that's the thing I want someone to teach, you know, mm-hmm. an autistic child is how do you advocate? 
Right. You know, like my child didn't really use an IEP until I think like senior year, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it was because they were always in schools where it was like, we had a 504 one. So it wasn't like, but it was mostly that they would just say, hey, can I sit over there? The light where mm -hmm. where's here, the light's right in my eyes or you know, there's a, I need to be against a wall. There can't be sound behind me, whatever. And they would just say it and the teacher would say, okay. But I remember briefly when they were at a school that was bigger and, you know, followed more rules. Mm -hmm. It was like, you can't wear a hat in school. And my child would have, you know, so like a winter hat that would cover their ears mm -hmm. to sort of dull some of the sharper sounds. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no. And, you know, and it's that thing of we have to get a, like a variance or whatever, you know, <laughs> to wear a hat, IEP, to wear a hat, you know, and it's like how, like, I wouldn't even need a reason, you know, for a kid who's telling you, I can't pay attention to you talking if I'm not, if I don't have my ears covered, mm -hmm. you know, so, so they started wearing, you know, headphones instead, which still not sure why that was better. That but... was better. That was okay. All right. <laughs> Probably because it's on a list of adaptive equipment. Yeah, that's it, or something. True, true, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, we've got ourselves all good and wound up, fired up about it. <laughs> I love that red story. I feel yeah. like, yeah, that's gorgeous. Um, yeah. What should yeah. we leave with? What should we end with? Where does, where, where, what now? <laughs> So what does someone do? Because I think a lot of the listeners are Yeah, we've you know, got five minutes teachers. left. What should they do instead? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, just the hopeful part, minutes. right? Yeah, so yeah. what what does therapy look like? Or what should a teacher do in a classroom? That's not just that um, being on the, you know, the battle, mm -hmm. right? I, I guess struggle. So um, we have Karen at work talks about not this, but this. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> how do we do? Have you ever seen her do that? That's great. I know. Yeah. I don't think I have, you know, surprisingly, Mike, she's actually never had to say that to me. <laughs> Anna, before you yell at Mike, do we really want this? Yeah. Uh, so what do we do? I mean, I think, I think the balance I'm always trying to strike. Well, I think first, as human adults working with children, running it past how would I experience this mm. if I was in this child's shoes is like a, a pretty solid strategy. Yeah. <laughs> Just in general. Like yeah, past you don't need to go to a workshop for that. You don't yeah. need, you don't need the special certification. Just just to ask yeah. yourself that. Like yeah. if you were really upset and somebody picked you up and yelled at you and then you know made you pick up all your Legos like would mm -hmm. you want to do it um and then also the idea that because of course we have to have boundaries right we can't really have fun if we don't have real safety and like mm -hmm. real boundaries. um but when we have boundaries if you have hills that you truly have to die on you know I use the example of like children running into the street I'm not gonna follow the child's lead on that I'm gonna try <laughs> but I'm gonna be like scary uh-huh <laughs> Um, but we can still relate, right? We can still validate. We can still be like, you were so excited about that squirrel across the street, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think where we have to, where we really have to be directed, we can still be human and we can still, um, and we can still relate to the child's experience and like work to reduce distress. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't have to be, I just, I see these two, these two sort of, um, ideas take hold either like, oh, so we just let him do whatever he wants. Right. Or, yeah. Um, you know, we're constantly directing him at every single turn. And I'm like, no, there's really, I think there's really an opportunity for, for both. Mm -hmm. When I was looking up quotes for today, um, I was reading, uh, Lisa Murphy's book, the one about being child centered or whatever yeah, that one's called. It's called on being child centered. There we go. I, I was pretty close. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Um, but she, um, I, I think she was even quoting someone else, but she said, children don't um, 
uh, don't push boundaries because they want to break the rules. They push boundaries to see where they are or, or to make sure mm -hmm. where they know where they are so they yeah. feel comfortable. And I thought, what that's such a great reframe. Because mm -hmm. um, she was talking similarly, like, right, when people think of child centered, like, oh, you just do let them do whatever. It's like, well, no, no one's hitting another child over the head with a chair, and you know. <laughs> but yeah. the example I used earlier, when three kids are cracking up as they bump into each other, um, why would I stop that? As yeah. long as the one thing I did stop was, oh, these three want to look at this, you know, piece of paper here. Um, mm -hmm. That was it, you know, and, yeah. and um, so there was a limit, mm -hmm. but I didn't have to put in the limit of, you know. It is not, you know, we are not um, moshing to Strauss, you know, like that, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I guess that's the difference in a way, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I didn't mean to take it away. Like, I feel like, Anna, you should have the last word. I shouldn't have. Yeah, go ahead and say a last word. Be brilliant. I, be brilliant, go. The Strauss really can't be taught. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's the episode uh, title. We'll see how this plays out. See what you yeah. say next, Anna. You've got one chance to get the episode <laughs> title. <laughs> no, I think that I think that's really excellent. Um, uh, and well, there was one other thing I was thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Good. I can't. It'll be profound, and it won't top. We're not moshing to stress. Okay. Um, but the other thing I think about is we want to let the children do the thinking, right? Like let the children do the thinking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm properly caffeinated, I've had enough sleep and like, I'm in a really good mood. If the children are moshing to Strauss, I might pause them and I might be like, Hey, so I see that those kids actually don't want to mosh to Strauss right now. What can we do? <laughs> and they'll probably figure it out and they'll yeah. probably on their own. Um, and I think sometimes when we get super directive with kids, then they don't get to do the thinking and True. we're more annoying. Um, and so if we can let kids do the thinking, even if it is to enforce a boundary, they're usually pretty good at fixing problems. Mm -hmm. Especially when our stated goal is almost always, well, they need to learn to dot, dot, dot. Um, then letting them do some of the thinking is really a valuable right. approach. <laughs> And that idea that idea we that um, early childhood teachers often use around regulation, like regulating the kid, mm -hmm. is exactly that, right? Taking away their thinking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ooh. Don't take away their thinking. There you go. There's a new one. New episode episode title episode title, right. whichever you prefer. <laughs> All right. This was really a good conversation. I had so much fun and uh, learned some things. And uh, I think um, I think it's going to give people a lot to think about as they're listening to it. So thank you both for coming on and doing this. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.